This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Major Garrett. The Takeout is my show. It's a weekly show. This is a kind of a different experience for us. Again, as always, this pandemic season, welcome to my dining room. We're going to do this show in collaboration with the Economic Club of Minnesota and two guests, arranged by the Economic Club to have a conversation with me, which I'm going to share with everyone in my Takeout podcast and radio and TV audience. So those two guests are Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat of Minnesota, Tom Emmer, Republican congressman from the state of Minnesota. And I want to let you know how this is going to work. Uh, It's going to be the Takeout as we always do it in the radio format for CBSN and for our podcast listeners. Everything is going to be exactly the same way, but we'll weave in the conversation with not just one guest, but two. And since it's a Republican and a Democrat, we'll have a conversation on maybe both sides of the same issue or maybe some, we hope, unanimity on a big issue like what's going to happen with the stimulus. So without further ado, I just want to say hello and welcome to Senator Klobuchar. Amy, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Major. Congressman Emmer, Tom, it's great to meet you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Major. Great to meet you. All right. The two of you, I'll let you start, Senator Klobuchar, because I know you're in the midst right now of conversations with your own colleagues. Big picture, not in the details yet. Is there going to be a stimulus bill passed this week or early next for those in America who need it most? Yes, I um, am very positive about this. I just having spent uh, the last hour with senators from both parties, um, I think we're making big progress. And I think we need to do this for the American people. We've seen the spike in the virus. We see the light at the end of the tunnel with the successful vaccine being delivered. Uh, but when you look at the small business closures earlier this year, I think it was something like 800 a day, um, according to uh, a Yelp study uh, that came out. Uh, you still have so many people out of work. And so the idea is to get us through this time period so that when our economy is ready to bound back to where it was, we're not set back. And I think Jerome Powell said it best, uh, the President Trump's appointee is head of the Federal Reserve when he said it would be tragic if Congress didn't do something by the end of the year. Tom, uh, Congressman Emmer, do you believe that's also what's going to happen, that there's going to be a bill, it'll be voted on maybe early next week and this, will get, this work will get done? Early next week or maybe even over the weekend. Uh, I agree with Amy. Uh, Look at what you've started, Major. Uh, We've gotten out of the gate uh, in agreement uh, already. It's not 
It's not even late Friday afternoon. Now, we just got word on our side of the building, our leadership group, that uh, the talks are progressing in uh, in the, what, correct fashion. There were, uh, Amy, I think you probably heard this. You probably were involved. Hundreds of outstanding items a few days ago. Uh, there's just a handful of outstanding items right now, and we're very hopeful that maybe with a short CR, uh, we could be lucky over the weekend, but in any event, uh, hopefully uh, early next week. Uh, Congressman Emmer referred to a CR. One of the things we know, uh, you on our audience know we love to do on the takeout is take words that we are familiar with here in Washington and remind everyone outside of Washington what they actually mean. A CR is a fancy acronym for continuing resolution. Why does that need to be need to be done? Well, because the government's going to run out of money. Spending authority expires at the end of this week. So there needs to be another continuing resolution to keep the government funded while negotiations or votes continue. So um, now let's get a little, little bit of details. We're still in the $900 billion ballpark. Is that what you are both hearing and both think is likely to be the landing spot for the stimulus? Yes. And do you know yet, Senator Klobuchar, um, importantly, the big ticket items within that $900 billion? Sure. Um, the business piece of it has most likely gone up some over, and it's, none of this is final, over where it was with the original gang out of the Senate. Um, somewhere we're thinking in the range of $325 billion, but again, it's not set. It's still being negotiated. That would be uh, PPP, um, and that would also be an extension of PPP, but it also would be looking at some of the hardest hit industries, one that I've led on, which is Stages, which includes the iconic First Avenue in Minnesota and the uh, Fargo Theater in North Dakota uh, that have been completely uh, shut down during this time. Um, and so that that will be the PPP plus in that it's going to be some more targeted relief for certain areas of the economy. Other uh, big tickets, the unemployment, a lot of the talk is to not go to the 600, but do the $300 that uh, there's been negotiated that came out of that um, Senate group. That's three hundred dollars um, on top of whatever your state on unemployment benefits is. are. But yes. just for a, it, the the time period is not yet finalized. You know, three to four months. Most likely, there will be some kind of direct checks uh, out of this. Uh, most likely, not at the quite at the level that was originally proposed uh, by Senator Sanders and Senator Holly. That's quite a duo, um, and then. Just a number of things so important to Minnesota, to our hometown listeners here at the Economic Club, but things like broadband, uh, the vaccine distribution, 16 billion was set for that, um, and doing more uh, to help our hospitals, particularly rural hospitals, childcare, broadband, all of the things uh, that we've seen gotten particularly hit during this pandemic. Again, it's short term, uh, because we see, as I said, this light at the end of the tunnel that the vaccine is coming out uh, and we want to make sure we can keep reassessing. Congressman Emmer, do you believe if this passes, and I know there's a lot that's got to go on between now and then, but if sometime early next week this passes, will that be the last COVID-specific stimulus any Congress, this one or the 117th to be brought in in January is going to consider? Is this the final thing? I think the only uh, certainty I can give you on that is this would be the last COVID relief package that the 116th Congress right. will be doing. That we can agree uh, on, yes. Yeah, I, I, I just to add to uh, what Amy uh, had, there, there's also targeted relief uh, for uh, renters. Uh, there's gonna be renters assistance uh, uh, money. There's gonna be uh, direct support for our farmers. 
uh, a couple of things that I think uh, the Economic Club of Minnesota would be interested in. Right now, uh, as I understand, unless this has changed in the last uh, 30 minutes, uh, Amy, my understanding is uh, there is nothing in this bill for state and local governments, and the liability protection piece has been uh, left on the sidelines, at least for now. That's correct. That is, that's what I'm hearing. But I think, um, as Tom uh, points out here... Senator, uh, hold, hold that thought for one second, because I need to get to a break. Hold that thought. Amy Klobuchar, Senate Democrat from Minnesota. Oh, Tom, a good thought, I know. Hold it. I'm coming right back. I'm coming right back. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. Stay tuned for segment two in just a second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. This is the special takeout. I told you, folks, remember, 75 radio stations around the country, including WCCO in Minneapolis, POTUS Channel 124 on Sirius XM, CBSN, our lovely look-in digital streaming audience, and, of course, every great podcast platform around the country. Our guest this week, the show is being done in collaboration with the Economic Club of Minnesota, so there's a little bit of Minnesota economic issues being talked about. You just heard that from Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat of Minnesota, Tom Emmer, Republican congressman. So Senator Klobuchar, because of the requirements of making my break times, I had to cut you off. Continue to thought you are suspended. Uh, well, uh, um, kind of playing off what Tom said I, when he said this is the last package for this Congress, uh, I think there will be more work need to be done. Uh, for one thing, this pandemic's put a big magnifying glass on some of the needs that we have in our country for broadband and, and the like. And I think that you're going to see building off of that and with including um, incoming President Biden, President-elect Biden has made it very clear that uh, he thinks there should be some uh, state and city relief in here that isn't in this package. So I think you'll see us going at it again. But to do nothing now when we're heading, especially in states like Minnesota, into the uh, winter here and the winter months where it's really hard for our small businesses, especially restaurants to get by would be, would have been a, a real tragedy. We do have good news though, uh, Major. If, uh, I, if, uh, Amy will appreciate, I was with a mutual friend of ours uh, this morning by Zoom virtually, uh, Ken Holman, the CEO of Centricare, who uh, was happy to announce that the first uh, deliveries of the vaccine have arrived at Centricare and they're gonna start administering the vaccines. So it's great news for Minnesotans. I had a, a friend of mine uh, whose husband is an infectious disease doctor uh, in the Washington area here said when she saw those vaccines, that trucks, the trucks leaving Michigan, she just broke up sobbing watching TV and just out of the blue. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. Uh, a lot of people have sacrificed in many ways 
of course, most particularly our frontline health workers and their families. Um, and so we have to remember this during the holidays that as hard as this has been, um, that this is a big, big moment of hope for our country to get through this. So Congressman Emmer, uh, Senator Klobuchar just referred to President-elect Joe Biden. That's his title, isn't it? Uh, right now, uh, what we've got is the, uh, uh, the Electoral College certified the, uh, the race on Monday, uh, and they declared Joe Biden the winner. The uh, Trump campaign has uh, some lawsuits, some other uh, processes going on out there, which I think they got to follow through to the end. But uh, it's, it's uh, getting resolved. Can you just say those words, President-elect Biden? <laughs> what I will say is, again, the Electoral College uh, certified uh, the election, uh, and Jill Biden is the, uh, the winner of the election. Uh, right now, I think we have a process in place, uh, Major. For me, you got to allow the process to go through, and there's a lot of people, the media would like to declare uh, the ultimate end of this process. Uh, I think certain elected officials would like to declare the end of this process, but as someone who was in a recount himself 10 years ago, I know that uh, we need to respect the process, no matter whether you agree with it or not, because once it's over, you've got people that are going to be on one side or the other, and they've all got to be satisfied that our election was conducted in a fair and transparent manner. Uh, it's, it's really important to the future uh, of our elections. In that regard, I want to read to you some quotes this morning from, and we're recording this on Thursday, December 17th. So this is John Thune, someone I think you're probably pretty well acquainted with. He's a member of the Republican leadership, Republican Senator from South Dakota. This is a direct quote from him this morning. The fact of the matter is that this has been litigated over and over. The Department of Justice has weighed in. The states have all certified. The Electoral College has acted. It is time to be done with this, meaning the process you just referred to. Are you in stark disagreement with Senator Thune? Listen, I, again, I respect anybody's uh, position on this. I've told you uh, and I've told others. Uh, I believe you got to let the process play out till the end. I think uh, you're pretty clear on what the uh, what the Electoral College did on Monday. They certified the result of the election. Describe the end for me. What's the, what, what, what is the end? If, if I could, I'm going to respect the Trump team's right to follow whatever processes they want. Those are diminishing. Uh, they're fewer and fewer, and uh, eventually they'll exhaust the process and uh, and we'll move on. Is there a date certain for you when this becomes clear? I, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be uh, very soon. Is it January 6th? I think January 6th is probably a date that we can point to, yes. Senator Klobuchar, your reaction? Uh, well, Tom and I are good friends, but we clearly disagree on this. I, I think that this is done. The Electoral College has voted, and even Mitch McConnell uh, not only uh, declared Joe Biden the victor this week, as well as uh, Senator Thune and Cornyn and so many in leadership in the Senate, um, but uh, they've actually uh, discouraged their members from even challenging this electoral college, which is so clear when uh, Joe Biden got over 80 million votes, um, uh, when we had more Americans vote than any time in history, uh, when the head of the cybersecurity for um, Homeland Security uh, has said that it was the safest election in American history. Um, and I try to just move forward. And what I see here is with this work we're doing on the pandemic package, as well as Joe Biden's ability and Kamala Harris's ability to work uh, within the Senate, and I hope within the House, um, as the path forward here. And it's Joe that said, um, he said, 
the era of grim demonization. The grim era of demon, grim era of demonization must come to an end, um, and has specifically reached out to a number of Republicans. I think that's going to be really key to moving forward. The inauguration, and um, I'm going to be uh, one of the people in charge of it with Senator Blunt, um, and we are planning it. Senator Blunt has also declared Joe Biden the victor. Um, and we're planning the inauguration and we've got to make sure this is a peaceful transition of power and that people believe in our democracy. Let me pick up we on that. What, what's the inauguration going to look like, Senator Klobuchar? Uh, well, I hope Tom will be there. Uh, it is uh, it is uh, going to be uh, much more trimmed down, but the key event is going to occur as it should. And that is the peaceful transition of power with members of both parties on the platform behind uh, soon to be President Biden. Um, and I think that is the moment for our democracy that matters. Will there be tons of people on the mall? No. In fact, Senator Blunt and I just announced yesterday uh, that each member just is going to have one ticket. Um, no, I don't have an extra one, Tom. Um, and it's going to be, um, whereas before, of course, we had the con congressional piece, the secure area was 200,000 people. And then beyond that, of course, millions more fit on the mall. And so it's just different because of COVID and we're gonna to have to adjust to it, but that doesn't mean uh, that it does not celebrate our democracy in the very same way. We're just gonna be celebrating it at home. Congressman Emmer, are you gonna be there? If I could, I, I totally agree on the peaceful transition of power. And Amy, I'm very disappointed because I've told people that I know people in high places like Amy Klobuchar and I got a note that was restricting my uh, opportunity to get tickets and do whatever. Uh, here's where we disagree on the uh, the declaration issue. You're right. 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. 74 million people voted for uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, I respect your uh, uh, calling it the way you see it. I respect John Thune, everybody else. I just think we need to respect those 74 million people. And as long as there's a process in place, let it play out. So when it's done, both the 80 million and the 74 million and everybody else uh, trust in the outcome of this election. That's what the process is in place for. Okay, but just follow, since you I want to make sure the process go ahead, go ahead. Play yeah, I will be on that stage in your chamber, Tom, receiving uh, these votes um, and House members have this opportunity to object. It just simply is the fact that um, one of the things that we want to stop in this country is misinformation. And we know that um, we won this election. And I have some of my staff, there's something going on here on the deal here. <laughs> I'm not just trying to avoid this argument with Tom. Well, we're not having an argument. Not at all. Well, no, no, they're just giving me a note. The so Congressman Emmer, while she's the reading the note. The um, vaccine distribution could be over 50 billion that's in that bill. Okay, so Congressman Emmer, are you gonna attend the inauguration? Uh, if, if I'm allowed to. I mean, it sounds to me like Amy's not going to give me a ticket. No, I'm, no, no. I'm you, your office will get a ticket. Tom, you know your office is going to get a ticket. I will deliver no. it personally, Tom, to you and Jackie. You I mean. love it. I work with, uh, we respect the office, Major, uh, and this is what this country is built on. Very so good. I, See, I'm, I'm bringing people together right here in the moment, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout in just a second. CBS News, this is The Takeout 
with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout, a fascinating, interesting, and different kind of show. Again, welcome to my dining room as we've been here for nine months. Also, for those of you who are seeing these headphones for the first time, yes, the 80s have called repeatedly asking for their headphones back. No, I'm not giving the 80s their headphones back. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. We're doing the show in collaboration with the Economic Club of Minnesota, and therefore we have two Minnesotans, as the saying goes, on our show. Amy Klobuchar, Democrat, Minnesota the United States Senate. Tom Emmer, Republican congressman, all from the great state of Minnesota. So uh, another issue that is hanging here in Washington, there is a little bit of drama associated with it. It's not COVID relief as big as that is. It's about continuing authorization of funding for everything we do in the United States military. It's called the National Defense Authorization Act. President Trump has threatened to veto it. It has passed the House and Senate with veto-proof margins. So because you're on the Republican side of the aisle, Congressman Emmer, I want you to know, I want to ask you, do you think the president's going to follow through on that veto? And if he does, will you and other Republicans vote to override that veto? Well, I think it's uh, premature to talk about the last part of your question. My understanding is within the last hour, maybe even within the last 45 minutes, uh, the president uh, tweeted some things that he objects to in the National Defense Authorization Act. Look, this is incredibly important uh, legislation that passed out of both the House and uh, uh, Amy's chamber over in the Senate. Uh, it funds our military. It takes care of our the men and women who wear the uniforms. It takes care of the equipment. Uh, this is it's a, defense uh, policy. Yes, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, it passes every important. single year. But to answer your question. Uh, it's too quick. We're trying to get our arms around. He, uh, you know, originally it was about the 230 uh, exemption, but now apparently there's some things in it about China and some other things. So uh, candidly, we're trying to get our head around what it is the objection is. And uh, as soon as we have that, I'll be in a better position to respond. And Congressman Emmer, I've been around this town for a while. You know that to be true. And we know that language in these contexts matter. Objection is not the same as a veto. And you can sign something that you object to if you're president saying, well, I want my objection, I want my opposition noted, but the greater good has to be adhered to. Congress has spoken, I'll sign. Do you think that's where we're heading? Is that what it sounds like to you? I honestly, I, I think Major, uh, you have been around this town for a long time, and I think uh, you will know when I tell you I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I can't tell you what this president is going to do. He's got some objections. Uh, what are you showing they me? They are. Today? I just <laughs> they're on Twitter. Um, yeah. I mean, He's under the take, 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 take. Traditionally, this has been a bipartisan bill. You know that um, I supported it. Well, it was this time too. Of what I would like in it, uh, by any means. But there's very important things in there for Minnesota, for our National Guard, for burn pits, something I've worked on. Um, but you know, his objections are about a bill that Lindsey Graham has uh, that is quite unrelated. Um, his objections are about the taking the Confederate names, I believe, off of the bases. Um, and then something about removal of military from far away and unappreciative lands. Um, so that's what he says. And what bothers me about this is we've had months, we've had a whole year to work on the uh, Defense Authorization Act. It's so important to our military. And so what he's going to do here, it appears, and we were just talking about the timing with our caucus. If he um, vetoes it, there's a very good chance we can override that veto. It's not clear in the House. The Senate will, I would say. Um, and um, the we most likely do it when we swear in the new members when we come back on January 3rd, which is a Sunday that we'll do that. But it is I, I just think that this is just no way to uh, have your legacy on your way out is messing around with stuff like this. And he's still the president. He can do what he wants. But uh, I, I just 
think that he shouldn't be firing people. You've got the attorney general leaving. You've got the head of Homeland Security fired. You've got the defense secretary fired. And, uh, you know, sometimes peaceful transition of power means leaving with grace and leaving with dignity when you've got a pandemic going on. Well, let's, let's address that because you and I are good friends. I would say uh, really the National Defense Authorization Act, which has always been a bipartisan issue because it doesn't matter who wears the uniform and stands up to protect this country or whose family is sacrificing, they're an American first. It's got nothing to do with their uh, political perspective. This bill should have been done, if we're going to be honest about it, Amy, months ago. Uh, this bill was caught up in the same problem that you're not part of over in the House where we had a Speaker of the House that thought she was going to be stronger after the election than she was before. Same reason she turned down a $1.7 trillion uh, bill that would have been COVID relief because she thought she was going to be stronger after. Now, here we are to complain. And again, I, I would agree with you. Uh, we've got to make sure that uh, I, I got to understand what these uh, objections are because some of them just don't fly with us. Uh, let's figure out what the objections are. Uh, the fact that it came at the last minute when it could have come months ago and these things should have been ironed out long before now is very disappointing to me as it is to you. Congressman Emery, you've given me a great intro to the next thing I want to talk to you about. And there was a slight bit of justifiable crowing on your part. You are the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, the one that was overseeing all Republicans running for House seats in this election cycle. And you did very, very well. So as that as a platform, I want to ask you, why do you think that happened? And next, next, I want to ask you, Senator Klobuchar, what signal did that send you? Because I remember distinctly during the primary debates when you were running for the nomination, you were saying, there are parts of what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, that are not going to fly. This country is not as progressive as you think it is, and we should be closer to the center left of the perspective, or the spectrum rather, and that's what many House Democrats who lost their seats now say bitterly in defeat. So Congressman Ember Stark. Well, first, there's no crowing on my part. If you grow up in Minnesota like Amy and I did, we know very well that uh, you know if you're winning something today, you could easily be on the other side of that tomorrow. So there's, it makes no sense to uh, rub the ball in somebody's face or uh, do the touchdown dance. Uh, in this case, uh, look, you win campaigns with great candidates. We had the most diverse set of candidates ever offered as Republicans on the, uh, on the House side. Record number of women ran, record number of minority candidates ran, record number of veterans ran. Uh, you also have to have the message. And in this case, uh, even though this isn't Amy, uh, there are many in my grandfather's Democrat Party that he loves so much that have now shown up and said, proudly, the socialists have arrived and they've been pushing a far left agenda that not only includes raising trillions of taxes and opening borders, but defunding the police at all. That is a choice that uh, we put before the American people. And I'm going to tell you, uh, the American people spoke. They said we were going to lose two dozen seats in the House. Right now, we flip 14. Uh, we possibly will get 15. We're going to have a record number of women, more than uh, uh, doubled our, uh, our current number. And I, I tell you, it's, uh, it's not changing on the other side, as Amy knows, as they try to wrestle back some sanity on that other side of the aisle. You've got some uh, very loud voices on the, uh, on the House side that are saying the reason they lost seats was because they were not radical enough, and they want to push to be even more radical. That, uh, and by the way, uh, Major, I'm really proud of the fact that every seat we flipped, almost every seat we flipped has been by a, a female candidate uh, a or a minority candidate, which uh, is great for the future of our party and the uh, the agenda that we're pushing. And Senator Klobuchar. Now. Sure. Uh, you know, we were in the position of running against an incumbent president 
um, who had all levers of power uh, at his discretion, including holding the convention on the White House lawn. Uh, and we were coming in from that position. And the bottom line is we won the big seat. We won the presidency and we won it big. Um, and we won in states like Georgia and- But, there, but, but Senator, and, there is disappointment. I gotta lead with my positive time. I know, but there is disappointment. We won in states like Georgia. We won in states like Arizona, which I think bode well for the Democratic Party in the future. Do I think that we lost the economic message in some of these rural seats and some of these um, um, swing areas? Yes, I do. And part of it was uh, that we were in the middle of this campaigning like we've never seen before. Um, people couldn't go door to door. People had to try to be safe. And that led to problems for us. And also because of the focus on the pandemic, understandable focus, some of our economic messages that we started and we ran on and won on in 2018 uh, got lost. And I think when you look though at the demographics of this major, when you look at where the country is going with the young people voting so so overwhelmingly uh, for Democratic candidates, and you look at people of color voting so overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates, and you look at the changing demographics of our country, uh, that I would not want to be just sitting, uh, um, sitting holding what I got now if I was a Republican. And I think so much of this is going to be about where we go. And Joe Biden is no socialist. Joe Biden has made it very clear, as have the leaders of our party, where we are headed, and it's not to socialism. I was the one on the- I'm gonna pick, I'm, We're going to pick up that thought on the other side of this break. Okay. Senator Klobuchar, exactly where the Biden presidency is heading. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. Stay tuned for segment four in just a second. The Takeout with Major Garrett is brought to you in part by Kansas City Steaks. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com today and use code SIZZLE2020 at checkout. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett, continuing this collaborative show with the Economic Club of Minnesota. Our special guests are Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat, Minnesota, Tom Emmer, Republican congressman, also from Minnesota. So uh, very quickly, Senator Klobuchar, you said Joe Biden is no socialist. That's probably not breaking news, but it's important nonetheless. If you were to try to sketch out for the Economic Club of Minnesota, this audience listening and my audience nationwide, the first two or three big ticket or high priority items, they may not be big ticket, but they still may be high priority of the first 100 days of the Biden administration, what do you think they will be? Uh, getting us through the pandemic, which means getting the vaccine out immediately, that's the best ticket to opening our economy again. Uh, then secondly, working on those economic issues that are related to the pandemic, but that includes workforce training, believe it or not, even during the pandemic, we are having a, a, a lack of employees in certain areas and we need to up that. That includes, I think, immigration reform, which is a major economic issue that's a priority for the Biden administration. Um, and then uh, the, the third thing uh, I would say would be infrastructure and the work that needs to be done there. 
health-related issues. There's so many things that we've got to move on, climate change um, and uh, doing more to make more people covered with their health care, bringing down pharmaceutical prices. There's just going to be a whole lot of action in those first 100 days. And I'll point out, at least in the Senate, there's been bipartisan support in the past, although we were gut-punched by the um, uh, Trump administration on immigration reform and infrastructure. So I could easily see us, depending on the makeup of the Senate, if we win those seats in Georgia, where Mitch McConnell is in terms of what he wants to do, bipartisan, uh, that we could move on many of the priorities of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Congressman Emmer, any of those things uh, land well with you or are you at best lukewarm? No, I mean, I'm always interested in moving things forward. But I do find it hard to fathom how uh, this first 100 days is going to be very productive when Nancy Pelosi has made it clear in the House, uh, Amy, that we're going to be here less than we have ever been in a session in, uh, in the history, as far as I know, of the U.S. House of Representatives. We finished off the year with the pandemic uh, under similar fashion, and now she's got a calendar that came out that has us maybe uh, working two weeks a month, maybe, and uh, if you can see how it operates over on the House side, to do a, a markup of any major legislation is going to be virtually impossible. And I use the term virtually uh, interchangeably because they're going to have to try and do it by virtual uh, means. And if you saw the way these, uh, these uh, different members uh, try to run these meetings, it's just it's hard to imagine how anything's going to move through that, uh, that chamber with any uh, 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 what efficiency under the current uh, makeup. And I just wanna go back, uh, Major. Mm -hmm. I, I understand where Amy comes from with uh, 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 Mr. Biden. And I, I know that uh, she's worked with him and you know, not a socialist, okay. Uh, but that's not the issue on the other side. I mean, you still have this huge inter-party uh, feud that's going on, at least on the House side where the, uh, the socialists want to pull them farther to the, uh, to the left. In fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi has refused within a week of the election to reject the idea of socialism like Amy has. Uh, and you've got uh, places that we know well, Amy and I, like Minneapolis, that continue to move down this path of defunding the police. And this is going to be an issue as we go forward that they're going to have to deal with internally. And I, as I've said to some of my Democrat colleagues, you need to stand up, you need to speak up, and you need to fight to take back my grandfather's Democrat Party so that we can move this thing forward together. Yeah, I don't know. I just have a different perspective from the last month over here because we've got, you know, Joe Biden got elected president. He clearly was a moderate candidate on our side um, and was in the same lane as I was. Secondly, um, I've seen the last few weeks, I, I haven't been home since Thanksgiving. Uh, we've all been working together to get a package done. Uh, Senator Blunt and I have been working together on the inauguration and all those things associated with it. Um, and I see some hope for bipartisanship. I'm not a Pollyanna about it. I know what people have been saying and, and um, uh, what the president keeps tweeting out all the time. But I just refuse to have that define our discussion about how we move forward. So I want to bring this back to where we started. Because uh, in the last moment or two, Congressman Emmer has twice referred to defunding the police. Where we started this conversation was on the broad outlines and the contours and some of the underlying details of a stimulus slash COVID package, which may in fact come late this week, early next week. Both of you agree, and it's been acknowledged publicly, that federal dollars to assist states and localities will not be included in that. 
which means states and localities, which have to deal with their budgets, especially states, many states have constitutional balance budget requirements, are going to have to reduce funding for certain vital services. So isn't it true, in fact, that when Congress doesn't include state and local government funding in this bill, Congress will be intentionally defunding police departments in this country? Well, I'm in favor of um, moving on state and local aid. I always have been. And I think that you- Isn't that a practical reality? I think that is one of the outcomes of this, that they won't have enough money for law enforcement. I clearly have been against defunding the police. I don't think that's the right way to go. I think there's reforms that we have to make, uh, including on chokeholds and things we should do federally, as well as some of the work that's been done on the state basis. We need uh, police reform, but that is a different issue um, than defunding. And so I think that by helping with state and local aid, we don't just help on the law enforcement side, we also help um, our states cope with what they've had to deal with. And you know where the number will be set, I think we'll have some sense in a few months, a better sense of where that should be. I would have liked to see it in this package. It's not. Um, and right now our state, of course, has a surplus um, with uh, Tim Wall's leadership and legislative leadership. Uh, although it is forecast uh, to um, uh, not have a surplus, to have a deficit next year. And so I kind of look at it locally where, and the mayors are telling me, not just in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in small rural towns that they're having trouble coping with this because of the decrease in the tax revenue and because of the increase in what they've had to do during the pandemic. Congressman, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Yeah, Major, I, I disagree with that. I, mm -hmm. Leading is about choices. Uh, like Amy said, there's a surplus right now. I think the bigger issue is going to be who is going to be willing to wear the uniform and protect our communities, protect our neighborhoods, if we're not going to give them the support that they need. Uh, really, if you look what's happening in Minneapolis, you now have carjackings up over 330%. We are at a five-year high for violent crime. We've got a doubling of homicides over the past year. I mean, this is a crisis situation that cannot be ignored, and the number one function of government is to protect its citizens and their property. So I think that should be the number one primary focus of state and local government always. Okay, right, but shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't there be some, why, why not? Because I know Republicans have been opposed to this Congressman member. Why not provide assistance at this, for state and local governments, which you know have been affected because of lower tax revenue? Yeah, well, again, we have already provided huge uh, dollars within the CARES Act that I think uh, were used for local law enforcement related to the COVID uh, increase in costs. Uh, we have already done that. In fact, Minnesota, I think, as of last week, still had $16 million in its treasury uh, from the CARES Act. So, uh, look, I, I was just responding to the question where you made it sound like it's a zero-sum game, that somehow uh, the states can do this where they don't fund their priorities or local government doesn't fund its local priorities, and it simply points to Washington and says, it's your fault because you're not giving us the money. No, that doesn't. that's not the way it works. You should be looking this at this time in our history uh, we should all be looking at it, not as Republicans and Democrats. We should be looking at it as an opportunity to reform the things that uh, are most important to us. And that's really at the state and local level where government directly impacts the individual. And I, I think it's a great opportunity for our, our local authorities and our state authorities to look at how we deliver law enforcement services. And then, Major, we have got to have a message to people that we are going to back up the men and women who wear the uniform. Because as one sheriff told me last week, if we don't do something about this soon, 10 years from now, they're not gonna, nobody's gonna wanna step up and defend that blue line because they're gonna figure that they're not protected. 
I okay. told you, uh, Congressman Emmer, I, I promise you the last word, Senator Klobuchar, we'll have one more segment. I'll get you on that, but I got to close the show out for our radio audience. Need to say farewell for the podcast and CBSN audience. Stay tuned for the takeout outtake especial. I'm Major Garrett. Many thanks to the Economic Club of Minnesota. Stay tuned for this segment five of the takeout of the radio audience. We've got to say goodbye. Thanks. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Collaborative effort this week and a mighty fun one it has been. Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minnesota. Tom Emmer, Republican Congressman from Minnesota. I've been our special guest. This in cooperation with the Economic Club of Minnesota, as I said. So um, we ended our conversation uh, in segment four and Senator Klobuchar wanted to jump in. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. Then we'll do a little bit of fun and games and then we'll put a bow on all this. Oh, fun and games. Excellent. Oh, just one <laughs> more point that I want the audience to understand at home. The, the police chiefs uh, in Minnesota and across the country are advocating for more state and local help because, you know, they want help. And I would agree with Tom on uh, that we need to have the back of our people in law enforcement. But I think one way we do that is by making sure that the cities that employ them have the money to do that. That's it. Excellent. All right. So for those in the Economic Club audience who are watching this virtually via Zoom, when we get finished with this little segment of the takeout, I'll take a special, we'll take questions. A couple are in the chat field. I'll get to those, but have them ready and begin to put them together. So as you can tell, audience, I'm juggling a couple of things here right now, all in the virtual atmosphere and the cozy comfort of my dining room. All right. Fun and games. So Senator Klobuchar has been this through this before, Congressman Ember, because she's been on the takeout before. We actually had a very nice uh, glass of red wine a couple of years ago, as I remember, back when we were doing this in restaurants. So Congressman Ember, I've got three questions for you that Amy is familiar with. All-time favorite movie, most influential book in your life, and if you're going to indulge yourself musically, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? So the first one, uh, what's my all-time favorite movie, The Natural, mm -hmm. probably? natural okay uh what's my uh, favorite book there are too many to mention i uh, i went back recently because the times we're in and read uh, road to serfdom which i hadn't done in a long time but i'll say startup nation i think the story of israel and how they uh, I, I just i love the story of how they become a tech technological powerhouse and uh, the innovation uh, that that country has produced and favorite uh, music favorite music almost everything. It depends on the day, Major. I would tell you that today it's country all the way, but uh, I'm never going to turn off a uh, the Stones when they come on. There's just something uh, that brings back uh, dark hair and about, uh, a, well, a much better looking human being. Well, speaking for myself, I could use some more dark hair, but uh, you probably could too, Congressman Amber, by the look of it, but we'll, we'll, we'll set that aside. Uh, Senator Klobuchar, for you, since you've answered these questions before, I'm just curious, was there anything during this period of time, I know you were busy this year, I really do know that, yeah. but if you had a spare moment, and I'm not suggesting you had many, but if you did, and you found something that you liked binge watching this year, is there anything that uh, falls into that category? Yeah, Queen's Gambit. Explain to the audience if they yeah, might not know no, what that, that is. No, that is a that's a mini series on chess. I like that a lot. That was fun. Not just about chess, but with a yeah, strong female character who becomes exactly. a world chess master. Exactly. Right. Uh, Congressman Emmer, did you binge anything this year? Only baseball and hockey in a bubble. <laughs> he has all the like the best answers for the at-home crowd. <laughs> I watched a few Twins games. I cried over Vikings games. 
I would be... And you'll cry some more. <laughs> One Viking game, I was here in D.C., and I just couldn't bear to watch to see if they were going to win or not. So I laid in bed and kept looking at my phone to see what the score was. Then I decided, you know what? They're going to do it. I went into the watch the last two minutes at midnight, and they lost. Jimmy, there are better ways to hurt yourself. <laughs> so before the last minute we have, I want to leave this I'll leave the audience with this. Um, give me a sense. I don't want a hard prediction, but I want a sense from both of you of when you think things will begin to really, on, on an achievable and sustainable way, be on the upward swing coming out of this. Is that May? Is it April? Is it sooner than that? Do we have to wait for July? Uh, Congressman Emmer, give me a, give me a crack at that. Well, I, I, I'm going to change it a little bit. Uh, you said upward swing. I think we're already going to be there uh, as we come into January. But I think getting back to life as we know it or some semblance of life as we know it, productivity that way, I think the second quarter of 2021, I'm hopeful. So that's um, beginning of April. Yeah, end of March, beginning of April, kind of okay. uh, the one-year mark of where this all started. Senator Klobuchar, last word. Um, I think I pretty much agree. I, I um, One of the things that it's going to depend on is if we've got the two vaccines coming out, of course, the Pfizer, Moderna. May have but others. But the, if the other ones come out and so they can get out more massively quicker, especially the ones that are just one dose, I think that'll make a difference. But I'm just excited. I'm excited about the role Minnesota has played in this uh, major. And I know Tom knows this too, uh, with the research going on at the U of M and Mayo, and then all of our healthcare uh, facilities taking part in this and Ecolab with their hygiene products um, and 3M with their masks. I mean, it's just, you can literally go through uh, and see what we've done. And I think out of this, I'm hoping with a Biden administration, not going political at the end here, Tom, is that uh, we will be able to work with the rest of the world in a better way. I know that matters economically for our economic club um, and that um, coming out of this uh, will be some good things for our state as well, which has really stayed afloat uh, during the pandemic because of so many strong business people, workers, and people that just have not given up, including those moms juggling their kids on their knees while they're doing their work on their laptop. Uh, it has been something, and I'm proud of our state, and happy holidays. Uh, juggling everywhere across the country, on knees, in between knees, on shoulders, every other format uh, imaginable for young parents around this country, and I couldn't agree with you more, Senator Klobuchar, and I say this in every show, I'm privileged enough to work from home, to do the work that I do from home, but many Americans have to go to work, and they have to do so in situations that are sometimes less safe than they would prefer. And to all of them, thank you. Uh, and I do my part by staying out of your way unless I absolutely need to be out there. But best of luck to you, best of luck to this holiday season. Every frontline worker, as I've said on this show every single week, we are thinking about you, we respect you, we admire you. Uh, my thanks to the Economic Club of Minnesota, certainly my thanks to Senator Amy Klobuchar and Congressman Tom Emmer. That concludes this Takeout Outtake Especial. So we'll see you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, 
Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.